Arsenal women are historically the most successful women's football team in England. Formed in 1987, they quickly rose to prominence under founder and manager of 22 years, Vic Ackers. Under his leadership, the team's clinched numerous titles, including three domestic trebles and UEFA's Women's Cup, which is now known as the Champions League. Arsenal remained the only English team to have won this competition. And let's be honest, over the years, they've become an absolute powerhouse in the women's game in their 36 years of existence. They have smashed records, broken boundaries, and have even earned a special place in the hearts of many fans worldwide. Then came Chelsea Women, a club with its own rich history and a formidable rise in the contemporary era of women's football. The team, as we know, was founded in 1992 and was announced in a match day programme of one of the men's games as so. We will show that women can play football and just as well as men. They did, however, have a lot of ground to make up on to catch the likes of Arsenal, who had had those 15 years extra to develop themselves as a real force in the women's game. Until Abramovich took over the Blues, the women were struggling to progress from regional leagues due to their lack of funding, often having to to fundraise for themselves in order to make up some of the much-needed funds to continue at a high level. Chelsea were in fact one of the eight founding members of the WSL and actually took part in the first ever game against the mighty Arsenal who went on to win the first ever match and the first ever title. Although their history has been far from smooth sailing, the turning point for Chelsea probably came around the appointment of Emma Hayes in 2012. An English manager who had actually been part of the coaching staff for Arsenal under Ackers from 2006 to 2008. Since then, Chelsea have become an absolute dominant force, domestically winning six WSL titles, including the last four campaigns, five FA Cups and two League Cups. As the game began to grow and the gap in quality began to narrow, a fierce rivalry began to blossom. The clash between Arsenal and Chelsea women, they have brought new level of excitement to the game, evolving into a highly anticipated showdown that captures the essence of the sport every single time those 22 players step onto the pitch. The rivalry has been marked by many iconic moments, outstanding performances and, of course, a constant battle for supremacy. Following the latest and last international break of 2023, Arsenal resumed their WSL campaign with the not-so-easy task of taking on Chelsea at the Emirates. Welcome back to Ladies in Red, an Arsenal women's podcast. And of course, this week, the focus is on that blockbuster versus Chelsea. What else could we possibly talk about? While we cannot write off either teams from Manchester, I think it's fair to say that Chelsea remain our biggest contender for the WSL this season. They're the only English team in the Champions League, uh, following Arsenal and Man United's exit. But with Hayes departing at the end of the season to become the US international coach, you know, you would imagine that she will not settle for anything less than perfection this season. And I don't really see her getting distracted in the Champions League. I think she will definitely go for that, but I think her goal will be to get all the trophies as possible, probably replicate Arsenal's, I think, as far as I'm aware, um, the only team to have done it in in the women's game in England, the quadruple, winning all domestic cups and winning the Champions League as well. But before the game got underway, three points separated the side. Despite Arsenal only losing one game of the season so far, Chelsea were above us yet to be defeated. I did feel pretty nervous about this game, I'm not going to lie. We were, of course, at home playing at the Emirates, but after the international break, we do know it's hard to 
expect um, the players are going to just fall back into it straight away. We've seen that many, many times. Um, players like Ford and Catley who are traveling to Australia and back in the space of two weeks. You know, it, it's often quite a slow start coming back from the international breaks. And we definitely saw that at the start of the season. I think the amount of international games that are played can be very, very disruptive, particularly when we're on a good run of form, which we were before the game. I'm not trying to give too much away here, but, you know, that good run of form, thankfully, continued. The game got underway on Sunday, the 10th of December. It was a relatively early kickoff in the Emirates. And, of course, there was a massive push to break the WSL attendance record, just like we had against Liverpool at the start of the season. I think it's pretty understandable why there was so much effort put into this game in particular, given the importance of the game and also the opposition. So if Arsenal were to win, they would go level on points with Chelsea. However, a loss would see us trail by six with a lot of ground to make up. Let's be real. As I mentioned, this game was on match day nine. And until this point, Chelsea had gone unbeaten in the league, despite scraping a pretty unconvincing draw against a nine player city early on. Really, it's been pretty simple for them up until this point. Let's run through the teams that lined up. I'm going to go through both teams, but we will start with Arsenal, of course. We played a 4-2-1-3 position. Zinsberger in goal. Katie McCabe on the right. Uh, Illestadt, Wubmoy as centre-back pairing. They are apparently our, our preferred centre-back pairing now until Leah Williamson comes back, and I can see why. I think they're starting to play very, very well with each other. Steph Catley on the left. Pelova and Valti. In that midfield, that slightly deeper midfield role, we had Mead on the right, Ford on the left, Kim Little back in the back in this team, captaining as well, of course, in that number ten role, and Alessio Russo up top. I'm just going to run through the subs as well. We had uh, Beatty, Miedema, Manum, D'Angelo, uh, Maritz, Lucas. Plaxtinius, Codina, and Cooney cross on the bench. For Chelsea, they had the same lineup: four, two, three, one. Berger and goal, Perisic. Um, Melde, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I've definitely butchered that. Carter, Charles, Nuskin, Cuthbert, um, Canrid, Fleming, James and Sam Kerr as captain. Sam Kerr notably did not travel with Australia during the international break. Okay, so getting into the game, Arsenal definitely started the stronger of the two sides, pushing very high and creating some decent half chances. And eventually we got onto the score sheet early on, thanks to Beth Mead in the eighth minute. Three things that need to be discussed here in the build-up to this goal. Little, Pulova and that finish. Caitlin Ford sent the ball into the box for Russo, but it was deflected into the path of Little, who managed to actually get it to Pulova despite being surrounded on three sides by players. Her strength there was exceptional. Um, I was really, really impressed by that. Pulova received the ball, turned and passed it to Mead, who just seemed to be completely unmarked on that right-hand side. I think there were so many players trying to stuff out um, little Pulova's turn really cut them all out of the game. It was phenomenal. Me took a touch, which initially looked like maybe she put a bit too much on it. But in fact, with that touch, she managed to send four of the Chelsea players the wrong way, including the keeper, creating a little bit more space for herself. And she fired it home into the top of the net. All I have to say about that is, will it ever get old seeing Beth Mead score? Probably not. It still feels amazing every time she, she gets a goal into the back of the net following that horrific injury that she went through. Uh, it was really, really great play, particularly from Little, but Chelsea's defending was just shambolic. There was no communication, no structure. And while you think that was really not characteristic of the league champions, we see it so so irregularly from them. They're normally so drilled, so well organized, but it seemed to be a common issue for them today. And we'll see why in a few minutes. 
Fortunately, it was not all positives for Arsenal. Chelsea were pushing immediately, even forcing a save straight away from Zinsberg. They did, however, find an equaliser in the 13th minute. Slightly dampened the mood, but we're not going to let us keep us down for too long. There were a few question marks over this goal. Let's have a look at what happened in the run-up. Arsenal were caught on the counter and the Blues just seemed to skip by them, really. Um, Fleming received the ball in her own half and there seemed to be absolutely no one around her. She carried it well into the Arsenal half and found Canreed on the right-hand side. She carried the ball into the box, cutting inside and firing it low past Zinsberger into the corner. Now, what was the issue with this goal? Well, it's not really that we were caught on the counter or anything like this, but and look, we were, but it was pretty much the only time that day when when that happened to us. The only thing that I would say about this is Samker was definitely standing in an offside position, blocking the view of the keeper. And I think had she not have been there, Zinsberger probably would have got it down a bit quicker. It seemed to go in slow motion. And I think Samker was definitely obscuring the view of the Arsenal keeper. If we had VAR in the women's game, I'm sure this goal would have been reviewed. And I think, in my opinion, probably checked, uh, chalked off. Unfortunately, or you know, maybe fortunately, I'm not too sure at this stage. When we see what happens in the men's game, it's not the case, and Chelsea were level after five minutes. But from that point on in the first half, we were definitely the most dominant side. Really, it was all Arsenal up until the second half. We went ahead again in the 36th minute from a corner, and who scored? Well, it had to be Amanda Illestad now, surely. She's our uh, goal-scoring pro, heading pro from corners, from set pieces. And I think that's why we got her exactly. We saw in the summer how great she was for Sweden. I'm going to say this every time, but it seems that she's really found her form now. I believe that's two and two or two and three for Arsenal now, um, scoring from corners each time. While her finishing Catley's delivery can't be faulted, I thought they were she she did really well and Catley's delivery was pinpoint, it was perfect. It was a really poor display from Chelsea's keeper Berger and goal. She rushed out, she got nowhere near the ball, vacating her line, leaving it completely empty and basically just a whole empty goal for Illustat to aim at. Again, really poor defensive errors from Chelsea that were capitalized on. You could see from Emma Hayes' reaction that she was far from happy with what was going on defensively. But while those first two goals were almost overshadowed by the defensive poorness of Chelsea, our third goal was, in my opinion, an absolute work of art. It was only two minutes after going ahead, Leah Valti, playing in that defensive midfield role, which she does so, so well, fired a long ball up the pitch from her own half. That ball went through two defenders almost directly into the path. It seemed to just fall directly into the path of Alessia Russo, who ran in behind and scored from a very tight angle, giving us a bit of, you know, a bit more of a cushion with a 3-1 lead. What a pass. What a finish. The Emirates erupted. And to be honest, it's so clear to see why we were absolutely picking them apart. It was, it was an exceptional showing. And the quality of the goal scored, of course, yeah, defensive errors but that pass from Valti that that finish from from Russo you know we saw again in the first goal there was some really clever play uh, to get around defenders who probably weren't standing in the positions they should have been to to deal with the threat but really exceptional play from Arsenal we looked more well oiled ready for it more hungry as well and yeah what a first half of football it was phenomenal there were some halftime changes for Chelsea it definitely showed how unhappy Emma Hayes was with the performance. Perisic, Melge and Nuskin came off for Lawrence Buchanan and Kerb respectively, really shaking up that midfield uh, defense, excuse me, defensive and midfield roles as well, just to get a bit more stability. Um, the second half was definitely not as exciting as the first and Chelsea had a good few chances as well, but nothing too threatening. 
defensively, I thought we were really good, really, really well um, drilled, organized, disciplined. And I thought that Zinsberg had a really good game as well. She seemed confident on the ball. She was going for the ball um, confidently and, you know, making good decisions as well. I thought she really, really looked comfortable um, again playing there. Fourth and final goal came from the penalty spot in the 74th minute. I'm kind of slightly jumping ahead here. Um, it was slightly controversial penalty, but it was given, so we'll take it. Russo made her way into the box, and while Carter, Carter Jess Carter, got a tackle in, Berger came storming out and tripped Russo. Look, like I said, it was fairly soft, but it was given. We'll take it. Russo stepped up and slotted into the bottom corner with ease. Uh, Emma Hayes obviously was not happy with that, but there's no VAR to check. There's no VAR to check, and the referee was standing right there. She saw everything. So, look, it, it was one of those ones. I think it was soft, but I've seen them given before. Honestly, we definitely could have had more goals as well as the even as, as the afternoon went on. It was a really poor finish from Black Stinius, who came on as a sub. But overall, if you're saying you should be beating your biggest league rivals by five goals instead of four, you know, I think that counts as nitpicking and we're not going to go. We're not going to focus on the negatives after this game. Trust me. There is one more talking point that definitely needs to be discussed. And I think it was Lauren James's yellow card. Should it have been more? Should it have been a red? Um, I think the battle on our right-hand side between James and McCabe was always going to be a really feisty one, and McCabe definitely got the better of her in the first half. James is an amazing player, but, you know, we have seen her lose her lose her composure a bit before. It was in the 70th minute mark, so four months before the penalty was given. Her frustration definitely got the better of her when she deliberately stamped on Valerie after giving away a free kick, and I believe that was against Ford. It was really nasty, a really nasty stamp down on her shin. Uh, if Valti's foot had been planted, I'm sure it would have caused damage, but it wasn't, thankfully. But again, it was nasty. It was like what we saw in the World Cup. She had a little, she has that bit of, you know, that streak in her. Um, it's not excusable. But she's young, of course, but it's nastiness that I would describe it as. And she's so much talent. It seems like such a waste. And even for myself, I'm not a Chelsea or England fan, but sometimes she lets the motion get the better of her. And, you know, it's led to situations before where it's cost her team a player uh, in important games. And I think she was very, very lucky that we don't have VAR in the women's game because I think that would have definitely been reviewed. And I mean, it was definitely intentional. That was the main thing. It wasn't an accident. It was intentional. And I think that she probably would have seen a red card. So there was three massive incidences, you know, Chelsea's first goal. Um, the Lauren James incident came just before the penalty that was given that I think probably could have benefited from far. I know it sounds ridiculous because we're always giving out about it in the men's game, but th these are just some examples of how I think it could maybe be possibly introduced in the women's game. I don't want the, all the controversy of the men's game, but there are three things that definitely could have been looked at. I don't think Chelsea should have got their goal. Um, I'm surprised that James stayed on for the, you know, didn't get sent off. I'm surprised they finished with, with 10 players on the pitch. And also, I do think Arsenal's goal was a little bit controversial, but nevertheless, nevertheless, the game ended 4-1. Uh, not only do we pick up the three points, uh, we also smashed the WSL attendance record yet again with 59,000 people, 59,042 people in attendance. We're massive. I love this club. I love the push that they give, I feel as though the women's team is really becoming part of the the nature, the the you know the the embodiment of the club as well. It's phenomenal to see really making the Emirates their second home, and I love that. It's phenomenal. So, like I said, we won three points, level on points with Chelsea. Just they have a slightly better goal difference. Um, 
But yeah, after the game, Emma Hayes said the only positive was that she had a 20 minutes drive home and she wasn't going to Manchester or wherever it was. Idaval said, on the other hand, that there are two more games to focus on before Christmas break and doesn't want to get carried away. But let's not underplay this. This is a massive statement. Arsenal are here and we are ready to play. We're ready to compete with Chelsea for the title this year. Simple. The race is now well and truly on. Player of the match was given to Russo. And to be honest, I cannot disagree with that. She's exceptional. She's been exceptional. And I think she brings just this next level to the team that I think we probably, with no disrespect to Blackstenius last season, I just think that Russo is a different quality, different level player. And, um, you know, since she started firing goals in, she looks so confident in front of goal. Some of the chances that she creates, she is exceptional. So I'm happy that she was given a player of the match there. Before um, I go on and look at what's to come, I want to go back a little bit and talk about um, what went on during international duty and some other news that's happening off the pitch. So 20 of our players were away representing their countries. I'm going to focus mostly on Europe and the Nations League, which drew to an end, uh, well, drew to the end of the group stages, shall we say. I don't, I don't really understand this competition. Does anybody know what, what this competition is? But anyway, end of the group stages. And let's start with Group A1. There was a slight shock there with the Netherlands. That includes Miedema and Pelova finishing above England, meaning that Team GB will not qualify for the Olympics next year. Basically, I know that every team that qualifies at a Group A wins goes through to the goes through to the Olympics. Like I said, I don't understand the competition, so I don't really know how it works. Anyway, um, England finished second, meaning they did not qualify for the Olympics next year. The two teams actually did play against each other, and despite England winning three two, um, and also being six 0 victors over Scotland, it wasn't it was not enough to see them top the group, meaning they didn't qualify. Some positives there, however, is that Beth Mead did score her first goal since coming back from her injury for England. Russo and Wu Moy were also called up. And look, obviously it's disappointing, but am I upset that the players are going to get a bit of an extra rest this summer following some very hectic summers previous? I'm okay with it. Again, obviously I'm not going to be supporting Team GB, uh, GB, but yeah, I'm happy to see my players get rested. In Group A2, we saw Austria with keeper Zinsberger push France for the top spot right up until the very end, but unfortunately they did not succeed in winning that group. Manum and Norway narrowly avoided relegation ahead of Portugal there in that group. Pretty bad time for Norwegian women's football when you think about it. I mean, the, the World Cup last year, the Euros, and almost being relegated to Group B. Nevertheless, in Group A3, Denmark and Kuhl missed out on qualifying for the final of the Nations League competition just behind Germany. I don't think there's much surprise there. I think the Germans were always probably going to go ahead. Group A4 was a very busy one for Arsenal. We had six players there. Uh, Lina, Lia Codina for Spain, uh, Stina Blackstenius, Lina Hertig and Amanda Illestad for Sweden. And uh, Switzerland were also there with Lia Valti and uh, Noel Maritz. Spain topped that group. No surprise, I don't think again. Sweden finished third, which I was quite surprised about to see Italy finish ahead of them. And Switzerland were relegated to Group B. But look, when one team goes down, another go up. And I am very, very happy to say that the Republic of Ireland topped Group B1. Uh, This will see them be promoted to Group A. I presume Group A1, but I don't know. Um, And there's no denying that Arcadia McCabe had a massive, massive role to play in that achievement. She puts her heart and soul into it every time she steps on the pitch for Ireland and 
delighted to see that. I think the team that is, I know this isn't an Ireland podcast, but still I'm going to enjoy and talk about it. Uh, I think the team that we're building there, you know, with Katie McKay basically as the driving force for success is phenomenal. Really, really great to see. Slightly further afield, we had um, a double friendly against Australia and Canada. For Australia, we obviously had Catley Ford and Cooney Cross. And for Canada, we had Chloe Lacasse and Sabrina D'Angelo also. Canada won both games, 1-0 in the first and 5-0 in the second. And Lacasse ended up on the score sheet there. So look, I think it was successful, I guess. Um, Successful in terms of what? We had no major injuries. Some of our players are going to get a rest over the summer. Am I upset about that? No, to be honest, I'm not. But yeah, delighted to have the last of the international games played now for a while. But other than that, what else is going on? So you may have seen a certain lioness taking part in a challenge set by the BBC Sport. Leo Williamson went from a beginner at piano to playing in an orchestra. Some of the quotes that came out from that was, you know, she really wanted to push herself. She wanted to feel that adrenaline, that high pressure moment before she gets back on that pitch after missing out for so long. She's such a mentality monster, I swear. I think she's so cool. She's really pushing herself and preparing herself for that feeling when she gets back on the pitch after her ACL injury. Is there anyone cooler than her on the planet? I really don't think there is. I think everything she does, she does exceptionally well. And I think it's a really good sign that she is preparing in every sense, not just physically, but also mentally to get back to those high pressure, high stake um, scenarios, which she will be hopefully back very, very soon. She's definitely training with the team now. And I think there'll probably just be a, a matter of weeks really before we see her back. Other than that, another thing worth mentioning and staying kind of on the topic of ACL injuries is a new documentary that's been produced. Uh, it'll be released on arsenal.com called Step by Step, and it focuses on the joint recovery of Mead and Miedema following their ACL injuries last season. Two of the greatest players ever for the club, probably in women's, uh, women's football history in England. They're also the only two players to achieve over 100 goal involvements in the WSL. The couple, again, we mentioned this last week, they're together, power couple. They suffered the same injury, like literally two weeks apart last season. And it seemed like a sick joke. Like it honestly, I remember it happening and just being like, this can't be real. This cannot be real. But it was. And, you know, they obviously weren't the only players. We had Williamson, we had Bean Reuter as well. And that's four players of Arsenal starting 11 that suffered ACL injuries last season. Um, the documentary will focus not just on the recovery, but it also seems to be from the trailer that I saw, it seems to focus on the root of the cause. What was the reason behind this? Trying to understand and prevent that happening in the future. Super interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, particularly with them getting back on the pitch now and kind of hopefully having that those issues behind us. Other than that, let's focus on what we have ahead of us coming up in terms of games. We have a double North London Derby to focus on. We take on Spurs midweek in the Conti Cup and then again in the weekend in the league before we wrap it up for the Christmas break. We cannot get complacent after that win against Chelsea. The gap is closed, but we still have 13 games to play before we can celebrate anything really in the league. Despite Chelsea's dominance over the recent years, Arsenal women are the benchmark for women's football in England and deserve all the love and support that they receive. Really, really, really proud of that result. Delighted to see it. I think we deserved it. And yeah, I'm just really, really grateful to support a club like Arsenal. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed and I will see you next week to tackle that double header against Spurs and just wrap up some loose ends before we take a break over Christmas. Thank you for listening and I'll see you soon. Bye.